0: Good Friday morning. Asia-Pacific stocks are trading mix this morning as sentiment appears to be more cautious than in the U.S. U.S. markets rallied overnight, but here in Asia, Seoul is trading down one-third of a percent. Tokyo and Sydney are in the green, but not by much. I'm Michelle Martin. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is my guest Abhilash Narayan. He's a senior investment strategist at Standard Chartered Private Bank. Good morning, Abhilash.
1: Good morning, Michelle.
0: We begin this morning with a company that I imagine every listener is familiar with. In fact, some of you may be in one right now. I'm talking about Grab, Southeast Asia's biggest ride-hailing and delivery company. Grab's listing on NASDAQ overnight via a merger with a SPAC was filled with superlatives. It's the biggest listing ever by a Southeast Asian company in the U.S. Grab's merger with the Altimeter Growth Corporation, which made the listing possible, is also the largest ever SPAC merger. I'm pretty sure Grab officials wish this particular word was uh, not added to the list. Grab's debut, was it a major flop or not? Grab fell more than 20% below nine US dollars a share and this on a day when the overall market sentiment was relatively bullish. So Abilash, why do you think Grab shares performed so poorly on their first day out of the gate? Uh, thanks Michelle. No, I think
1: uh, obviously, the, the the drop that we saw in Grab shares was quite large. But if we take a, a a step back and look at the broader picture for the markets, mm-hmm. yes, uh, if you look at U.S. stocks, they did rise. But if you look at European stocks they were actually, you know, in the red. So there has been some positive news that has come through in terms of the new variant, uh, Omicron variant for the coronavirus, but there is still a lot of uncertainty out there, Mm -hmm. and the market sentiment remains fragile, especially if you look at the Wix index, which uh, indicates that the volatility is still quite elevated. Now, if you look at the transport industry, uh, which obviously Grab uh, has exposure to, there's obviously a risk that, you know, if the variant is a bit more serious than what markets expect right now in terms of its severity and uh, infectiousness, then we could see a decline in overall mobility. So uh, I think it's, it's a combination of fragile market sentiment and the overall you know, weak sentiment we've seen for SPACs uh, throughout the year.
0: All right. And on that point, uh, do you think that Grab's performance will dampen enthusiasm for SPAC listings moving forward?
1: Uh, if you look at the SPAC. Uh, uh, performance of SPAC listings, right? So there's a index on Bloomberg. Uh, and when I compare the performance of uh, SPACs versus S&P, the results could not be more contrasting. So S&P 500 is up by more than 20% uh, this year and the SPAC index is down by more than 10%. So uh, we've seen that throughout the year, throughout 2021, the interest in SPACs has been sort of muted. And if you think about a lot of companies who issue through the SPAC route, they are relatively new companies, uh, and a lot of them are, have negative free cash flows, and a lot of them are loss-making. Yep. Now, when we compare, when we you know, add on top the fact that uh, global central banks, be it Fed, be it uh, Bank of England, Uh, And to a certain degree, maybe ECB are looking to reduce the easiness of monetary policy. And, you know, Fed Chair Powell indicated over the past week that he's looking to accelerate tapering. What that means is that the easy liquidity that we've seen for the past 18 months is going to reduce going forward. So conditions will still remain easy, but at the margin, they'll become less so. And that obviously creates a more challenging outlook for companies who are still loss making and who need this liquidity.
0: Got it. Now, we use Grab for all sorts of services, transport, food delivery, e-payments with its digital wallet. Grab faces competition from a host of players, though, including GoTo, the company formed by the merger of Gojek and Tokopedia. Abhilash, what do you make overall of the market for companies like Grab?
1: It depends on the time horizon. So if you're looking at the next three to six months, uh, obviously the technology sector uh, may face a bit more volatility as we see uncertainty around global interest rates. The Fed is expected to raise interest rates sometime in 2022. So we could see a bit more volatility. But if the investor horizon is three to five years, then we uh, continue to believe that technology sector companies are well positioned to uh, potentially outperform the broader market because the earnings growth that you should see in the broader technology sector would be you know, higher than the broader market. And as global growth slows down, uh, investors would be willing to pay a greater premium to access this stronger growth rate.
0: We're going to move to U.S. markets in a while, but first another factoid about Grab. Moments after the bell ringing ceremony yesterday evening here in Singapore, Grab co-founder Anthony Tan said, "Quote: The stock will go up and it will go down." And he couldn't have been more on the money. Grab shares had soared in pre-market trading, and when they opened, Tan briefly became a U.S. dollar billionaire. The stock slide, though, wiped away 17 billion U.S. dollars in market cap, leaving Tan's share worth about 725 million. This according to the bloomberg billionaires index of course all right let's look at the us markets overall last night i read that jp morgan chase was advising clients to buy the dip the advice seems quite prescient when we look at how the major indices performed overnight the dow jumped 1.8% its best performance since early march the s&p 500 rose more than 1% as well gains on nasdaq a bit more muted due to a modest drop in apple's share price overall the indices are likely Still on track to finish in the red this week. Abilash, do you agree with JP Morgan Chase strategists, uh, buy on the dip, or are you a bit more cautious in the face of fears about Omicron, inflation, and interest rates?
1: Well, uh, if you look at um, the buy on dip strategy, it, it has certainly been one that has worked for investors, not only this year, but over the past few years. You know, maybe with the exception of March twenty twenty when there was a lot of uncertainty mm. when COVID was first declared as as, as a pandemic. Now, if you look at the sell off, it was caused by concerns around Omicron. But yeah. the good news from a virus perspective is that Right now, the authorities are much more prepared. Vaccine makers are already, you know, working on, on finding uh, a solution to it. And if anything, authorities are prone to overreacting rather than underreacting uh, uh, given the threat of the virus. We've seen Japan and Israel shut down borders within, within days. Now, from an investor perspective, mm-hmm. uh, what we've seen is that in, with the concern about each successive variant, the drawdowns in risk assets has become uh, smaller and smaller. So mm-hmm. in March last year, we saw a drawdown of around 30 to 35. Five percent, depending on the various markets. The drawdown we saw for Delta variant was smaller than that, and in the current uh, you know episode, we are seeing a drawdown in the range of three to five percent for most markets. So, uh, as market investors have become more immune to the concerns of the virus, uh, the drawdowns have become smaller. So, yes, a buy on the dip remains a valid strategy as long as it's done within you know the appropriate risk limits.
0: What do you think is the likelihood that Omicron will end up knocking the global economic recovery off track?
1: Well, see, there is a significant information gap out there right now. So we'll probably get a lot more information in the next week or two. But right now we are seeing three potential scenarios that could play out. So the first scenario is, and this is our base case, that uh, Omicron is a bit more infectious, but it's not as severe as uh, the previous variants. And net-net, we don't see any severe mobility restrictions being imposed by the authorities. The second scenario is that we do see uh, more mobility restrictions imposed by authorities, maybe some form of lockdown, but the policy turns more supportive. And the third uh, scenario is that we see mobility restrictions and the policy tightens, which would be the worst scenario for investors. Mm-hmm. Now, if I talk about a base case where we don't see severe mobility restrictions, we think that we could see a bit of volatility in equity markets in the near term, but on a 12-month horizon, equities should still outperform bonds and cash. Central banks would continue to gradually taper and you know, increase rates, but net-net uh, equity should do well, and you know, maybe the dollar also strengthens over the next three to six months
0: right. It's tough to plan with all the zigzagging in the U.S. economy, isn't it? Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives struck a deal overnight to prevent a government shutdown. The House passed a temporary spending package. Without these funds, the federal government will be forced to shut down this weekend. The U.S. Senate still needs to pass the measure as well. And while the Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, says neither party wants to see a shutdown, there's still a chance that some of his colleagues may delay or even scuttle the deal. i Lash, it seems like we've been down this road many times before. What do you think is the likelihood of a shutdown? And if it does happen, what could that mean for markets?
1: You're absolutely right. we have seen this whole episode play out multiple times in different shapes and forms over the past decades. And see, what we've seen not only in US, but also in Europe, is that policymakers end up striking an agreement or reaching an agreement at the 11th hour. Right. So, uh, you know, if I take the perspective of Republican Party, they would probably not want to be seen as ones who caused the government shutdown. So in my assessment, there's a reasonable likelihood that we do see this proposed amendment pass through the Senate, but clearly it's just kicking the can down the road, we'll probably be faced with another bout of uncertainty come February. So, you know, it's, it's a bit disappointing that we haven't seen a, a firm resolution, mm. but in the near term, that does, you know, help uh, alleviate some concerns for the market.
0: Another item investors will have on their radars this evening, Abhilasha, the latest employment numbers, the jobs data should be released around 9.30 p.m. this evening, local time. What are you going to be on the lookout for with these numbers
1: well, uh, you rightly pointed out, it's probably the most important data released in the last few weeks. And the reason why I say that is in the last week or so, uh, Fed Chair Powell and a number of other Fed speakers have indicated that they're looking to accelerate the, the pace of tapering. So mm-hmm. making a monetary policy less accommodative, which would open the path for Fed to increase uh, rates or hike rates earlier in 2022. So that would indicate you know a significant shift in, in policy guidance. Uh, now, obviously, the jobs data is very key because if we do see a very, very strong jobs creation number, that would validate Fed Chair Powell's concerns that, you know, the labor markets are tight and inflation is a risk. But on the other hand, if uh, job, data, uh, job numbers disappoint, then that could mean that the Fed may uh, end up remaining more accommodative for a slightly longer period of time. So, uh, you know, we could see a significant amount of volatility uh, soon after the release of jobs data uh, later tonight.
0: Abilash Narayan is my guest. He's senior investment strategist at Standard Chartered Private Bank. Shares of the supermarket chain Kroger jumped more than 11% overnight after it said its CEO said new cooking skills and bigger holiday gatherings are lifting grocery sales. This will be a sign that stay-at-home stocks are back in favor. Abilash, where do you fall on the stay-at-home versus going-out stock debate right now?
1: Uh, I think it, it falls down to the time horizon. So, if we are looking at the next three months, given the fact that uh, there is a bit of uncertainty about how authorities would react with regards to the Omicron variant, we think that uh, stay-at-home stocks could be the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. But if we take a page out of the Delta variant incident uh, earlier this year, if you look at the three-month period from end of April to late june when delta variant was at at its peak what we saw for u.s stocks was the sectors that outperformed were healthcare which is obviously a defensive sector but also technology sector uh, as demand for home-based working and learning solutions increased so uh, if we do see a greater than expected concern for omicron variant uh, again healthcare and technology sector could benefit in the short term and energy and material sector could suffer but uh, again if you have a 12-month horizon then we think that you know the energy and the material sector and maybe going out stocks as a whole mm. uh, should perform broadly in line with the broader equity markets
0: Next up, Abilash, let's turn to the oil markets. The OPEC plus nations have agreed to stay the course and they'll stick with a previous plan to raise productivity by 400,000 barrels a day starting next month. This despite concerns that Omicron may slow economies. So if we look at oil prices, both Brent and West Texas crude are now trading below 70 US dollars a barrel. Abilash, the OPEC plus nations did build a so-called escape clause into their latest agreement. So they left the door open to changing output on short notice. And uh, it's an unusual step. What do you make of it?
1: Yes, absolutely. The key point from the OPEC meeting that while they have sort of agreed to respond to the pressure from the consumer nations, especially U.S., to increase output, there is that offset clause where they can reduce the output at a short notice. But see, it's, it's not something which is new. It's not something which is unknown. If you go back to March last year, when the global demand was falling off quite, uh, quite sharply in March to last year, OPEC did cut down the output at a very, very rapid pace. So, uh, yes, the clause is there to, to guide the investors, but it's something which we have seen in the past. Now, if you look at oil prices in general, obviously, we saw a big pullback over the past week based on demand concerns, as as you pointed out. But on a 12-month horizon, we still remain moderately constructive on oil prices. And there are a couple of reasons for that. So if you look at the inventories, uh, they remain below their five-year averages. Mm-hmm. So we are not in a state like 2015 uh, or 16 where inventories were you know, excessively high. We've seen the investments into uh, new oil production facilities drop down because of uh, sustainability concerns. Uh, and if you look at uh, the demand fundamentals, the biggest case for us is that on a 12-month horizon, we continue to see a global economic recovery and we continue to see a moderate-paced expansion in demand, although there may be bumps down the road. So in the near term, yes, oil prices could uh, you know, fluctuate a bit more than usual, but on a 12-month horizon, we still think that oil prices should uh, touch 75 to $80 per barrel.
0: Got it. Let's turn to Singapore now because we are 21 minutes into the local trading day. The Straits Times Index gave back a bit of Wednesday's gains yesterday, dropping 0.2% to 13.92. Abilash, the STI made solid gains in the first quarter of this year but has been pretty much range-bound since then, basically trading between 3,000 plus and 32.50. What do you think it's going to take to break out of this range? If
1: you take a look at the, the composition of STI Index, it is obviously dominated by the banking sector and if we look at the global equity styles banking sector you know usually falls into the value style of, of equity investing now as you rightly pointed out you know sti index did quite well at the start of the year but that period also coincided with the outperformance of value style investing uh, over growth and quality now in the last 3 to 4 months we've obviously seen value style underperform the broader markets given that the interest rates haven't really risen as much as markets expected. In our assessment, it will be difficult for Singapore equities to outperform global equity over the next 12 months, because Mm -hmm. while we do expect interest rates, uh, especially in the US, to rise, uh, we think that the rise would be capped. So we expect 10-year treasuries to end up somewhere between one75 to 2%. And we also expect the yield curve to flatten, which means the 10-year yields will rise at a slower pace than 2-year yields which is generally something that is negative for the margins for, for banks. So, yes, the loan growth will increase, but unless we see, you know, banking sector really uh, outperform other sectors, uh, we think it will be difficult for STI to, to outperform the, the global equity indices.
0: Interesting. Now, finally, as we look ahead at the last month of the year already and into 2022, Abilash, what is your outlook for markets here in Asia and in the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I wish you had asked me this question Sorry, ah. a week back, a week back oh, when totally we didn't have different. Omicron <laughs> concerns. Ah. Uh, it's obviously complicated it a bit. But see, uh, like I mentioned, our base case is that we see a bit of concern in the next month or two, but uh, Omicron doesn't end up being something that results in severe lockdown. And if our base case plays out, we should see continued global growth. And that would mean that markets return to a more normalized environment. Policy returns to a more normal setting, which would mean modest, but volatile uh, returns for equity markets. So we continue to like uh, uh, global equities on, on a 12-month horizon. And you know, heading into 2022, we continue to prefer US and Euro area equities given the higher vaccination rates and less policy uncertainty there. But you know, uh, in second half of 2022, should emerging markets catch up uh, on vaccination coverage, then you know, there may be a case for rotating from developed markets into emerging market equities, but we'll have to watch out for, for the progress there. Within bonds, we think that the government bonds will probably deliver negative returns, so high-quality government bonds. So we prefer corporate bonds, especially you know, U.S. and developed market uh, high-yield bonds, as well as Asian dollar bonds, given their relatively attractive yield and valuations and the fact that you know, they have less sensitivity to rising interest rates. Uh, And yeah, I think for investors with a multi-year horizon, we think that climate-related investing, uh, investing into ESG-related teams, and disruptive innovation themes still remains uh, an attractive opportunity.
0: Very positive outlook. I'd like to concur with that as well. Abhilash Narayan is Senior Investment Strategist at Standard Chartered Private Bank.
1: Before acting on the
0: information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app.